Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. If you would, join me today in Luke chapter 10. We're going to start a new series, a series of uh, short stories, parables. They are uh, parable by definition is a earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So uh, each one of these that we're going to go over, and we're certainly not going to go over all of the stories that Jesus told, but uh, each story will have two components at minimum. One will be the earthly story. The second will be the heavenly, the kingdom point to the story. So, and uh, as we go through this passage, as I sometimes do to get the, the, the real, the real Uh, drive home the point. The context of each story is as important as the story itself. And so to miss the earthly context of the story will be to miss the kingdom point. And so as we work through it, I'll have to make quite a few, uh, rather than read it two or three times, I'll just commentary as we go through it. We begin reading in verse 25 of Luke chapter 10. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Now, I love to put him to the test because it reveals the motive of the question. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Not what must we do or what must humanity do, but what must I do? What he is doing here is elevating his status among these people. He is assuming that they all look at him with envy and jealousy anyway. Uh, he, he kind of points himself out as the, uh, uh, the one that's getting it right. And so what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? I love how the man brings like attention to himself. And Jesus isolates that attention on him. How do you read it? Now, you may not recognize this from, from what we've read so far, but this man... Uh, is pretty much saying, I'm an expert, I'm getting it all right. And so, you know, you've, I've been listening to you teach now for a while, and, and so what must I do? And Jesus said, you're the expert, what's the law say? So I love how Jesus just turns it back on him. Uh, Jesus would never say this, but I kind of hear it with a know-it-all. Uh, but anyway, that's, that's blame, not the Lord. Uh, so while we're here, and I think that it's important to kind of set the stage for these parables is that, and if, you, if you're taking notes, I want you to write these numbers down because I think they're important. Jesus asks in the Gospels 307 questions. It's important. Jesus was asked 183 questions. But Jesus only answered eight. Some scholars say three directly. I think it's interesting to say that Jesus asked almost 40 times more questions than he is giving answers. You may stop and say, well, wait a minute. Jesus is the answer. Absolutely. But what this teaches us is that the right question is sometimes better than an answer. Because what the answer does is it stops the conversation. But a better question keeps it going. It provokes the heart of the inquirer. 
And it's in the questioning that real change can occur. And when we hear the, the, the word lawyer, we think of someone who works in court, maybe as a defense attorney or a prosecuting attorney in a court of law. But that's not what this means at all. This man is an expert on all things Mosaic law. So right away we're told that his motive is not pure. He is not trying to get the truth from Jesus. He is trying to put Jesus to the test. He's trying to trap Jesus. He wants Jesus to look like a fool in front of these people that Jesus is influencing. So he does this by asking a really great question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? It is every person's question. It is the biggest question that all of us want to know the answer to. How do I enter into the kingdom of God? How do I get to heaven? In fact, there's not a bigger question than this. It's the question of Nicodemus, the Pharisee in the middle of the night. It's the question of the rich young ruler. What good thing must I do in order to inherit eternal life? The Jews were taught by all their rabbis that they had everything that they needed already to inherit eternal life. As Jews, they had the right lineage, the right DNA. They were God's chosen people. They had the right scriptures. They had the right prophecies. They had the right miracles. They had the law. They had the ceremonies. They had their tradition. They had the temple. They had the holy place. They had the mercy seat. They had all of the things. They had circumcision. They had the things that if you were to adhere to these things then they would qualify you to inherit eternal life. But there was still obviously this, even among the experts, this nagging doubt, a sense that they were falling short, this, this something inside of their soul that, that was empty and had a vacuum and their conscience accused them and their heart accused them and they knew that they weren't qualified. They knew that the things weren't enough. And after the rich young ruler told Jesus that he had kept the law from his youth, he still said, what thing do I still lack? You see, he knew there was something that was missing. And this is where we all live. We live with a nagging sense that we just don't measure up. There, the worst part is this sense of anxiety that is created that God is not, anything that I do or think or whatever disqualifies me. And for some, this creates a sense of terror. For others, they get numb to it and it's just a mild sense of doubt. But deep inside all of us, this resides. So everyone in the room is this, this arrogant lawyer is, is strong enough to ask Jesus this question that everybody wants to hear the answer to. Everybody leans in. And surprisingly, Jesus doesn't talk about himself. Jesus doesn't present the gospel here. Jesus focuses on the law. What does the law say? You're the expert. How do you read it? Verse 27, and he answered... You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. I mean, the lawyer nails it. Out of, out of so many opportunities, the lawyer nails it. Two greatest commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, yep, do that and you will live. You want eternal life? Obey the law. But remember, in Matthew chapter 5, 
Jesus said, the rabbis have taught you love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, what? Love your enemy. Hmm. So to this lawyer, enemies were not included as neighbors. The Old Testament also very clearly in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 19 says, Love the sojourner, therefore for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Again in Leviticus 19.34, You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. You shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And by the way, sojourner means a foreigner, someone who is a newcomer to the, to the people and they, have, and they lack inherited rights. And so loving the foreigner is a very clear law that has been neglected. Another law was being preferred in its sight, which apparently is the law of arrogance. Verse 29, But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? See, he's trying to, he's trying to draw Jesus off lines. He's trying to get him to draw sides on, on who we have to serve versus who we get to serve. He's trying to get Jesus to draw lines. You mean the, the law itself, and, but therefore this lawyer is always looking for lines, limits, sides. Remember, he's testing Jesus for the crowd He's trying to get Jesus to uh, make very obvious who are we to restrict love to. Or maybe if he says, if Jesus says, well, all Jews, okay, well, you've been saying love your enemy. I'm just making sure that you are a hypocrite. If Jesus said we're to love everybody, he would say, so you're anti-Jewish. You don't believe what Moses taught. So regardless, Jesus is trapped, except Jesus is a whole lot smarter than the lawyer. But this is not a real question. It's also not with a right heart. You see, the lawyer became very upset that he hadn't been able to trick Jesus the way he wanted. He hadn't made Jesus look foolish as he had hoped. In fact, Jesus had made him look bad as an expert in the law. Hmm. Who exactly is my neighbor? I mean, it's almost like Jesus says, well, how do you read it? And he says, by the way, Jesus, did you not know I am awesome, and all of these people will tell you how awesome I am and how great I am at loving my neighbor. So he's trying to justify himself, not just his words. He's trying to get Jesus to admit, you know what? You're right. You are a good man. He's not looking for salvation from God. He's not approaching God with a, a humble heart in need of mercy. He's approaching God as a, I'm good enough exactly who I am. You see, the law points to Jesus and good works point to Jesus. And when you love Jesus with all your heart, the works and the law are very clear. But this man can't see Jesus because he can only see himself and how good he is. So, so Jesus, if you were to take a pencil, here's a map I brought with me. Why don't you circle who is my neighbor? Circle my neighborhood. How far is love supposed to extend? How do I, who do I have to love? And who do I not have to love? You see, when you focus on yourself and you focus on this kingdom, it's really, really easy to, to start asking yourself, 
Where, if, where are the limits of who I have to love? That's not the heart of Jesus at all. And so instead of getting into a debate over words, Jesus tells a parable. Verse 30. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now Jericho was uh, about a thousand uh, uh, feet below sea level. Jerusalem is about 3,000 feet above sea level. So there is a 4,000 foot drop from Jerusalem to Jericho that extends over somewhere around 17 to 18 miles. That's a pretty, that's a pretty steep drop. It's very, very dangerous. It's filled with uh, dramatic uh, uh, drops in terrain, and, and there's uh, lots of places where it's just a sheer cliff on the side, and there's lots of uh, rocky, rocky uh, hideouts there for robbers, and it was known for thousands of years as a great place for thieves to hide and wait for people when they were already uh, kind of in a dangerous situation robbers would make it even more dangerous. In fact, in Joshua chapter 18, it, it talks about taking this road and going through the, the pass of Adumim. And, and that word means, it comes from the same word as blood. And so if you were to call it in English, you would say bloody pass. So if that gives you any indication of, of some of the areas along the road, uh, you have to go through bloody pass just to get just to get there. So it's a place you shouldn't travel, especially by yourself. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, verse 31, by chance, a priest. Now, in this story, the priest is going to be a symbol for the law, was going down that road. Now, when Jesus is telling this story, everybody goes, ah, the hero, the priest. Everybody wants to be the priest. He is everybody's hero, and he's going to save the day. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. I mean, the priest is busy. His clothes are clean. He's probably in a hurry. And he doesn't want to risk becoming ceremonially unclean. And so he passes by on the other side. This word, anti-parekomai, it's an interesting word. Uh, it, it involves the Greek word anti, opposed to, opposite of. Not just on the opposite side of the road, the intention of the word is intentionally doing the wrong thing. Jesus is using the word to say, do not give this priest the benefit of the doubt. He considered it and he does the wrong thing, the wrong way. Verse 32, so likewise, a Levite, oh, this is, I mean, if you can't be a priest, then you want to be a Levite because these guys are, are workhorses. They are from the tribe of Levi. They are the son of Jacob, but they're not of the family of Aaron, which means that they are in the priestly family, but not priests. When the Levites steal from Levi, but they uh, assist in the temple. When the priests do all their work on behalf of the people and, and of God, the, the priests needed assistance and helpers. And so these, these Levites were kind of the, the, the bottom of the priestly hierarchy. They worked on the liturgy. They were the temple police. Uh, they, they, they took care of all things property and maintenance and facilities and, and things like that. So they were pictures of good people doing good things, good work. Likewise, kind of gives it away of what the Levite is going to do, but the Levites were known for the good work that they did. 
But when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Again, maybe he didn't have the money. Remember, the Levites didn't have any money. They didn't have jobs. They were completely dependent on all the people. So I don't have the means to help him anyway. Why would I get involved? I'll leave him for somebody else. Or maybe he didn't want to become ceremonially unclean either because those priests are going to need help. And if I touch this man, I will become unclean. Maybe it was a time issue. Maybe he was running late. Maybe the Levites were afraid that the bandits were still nearby. Really doesn't matter. He passes by on the other side. Antiparechomai. It's interesting. It's the same word as used for the priests. It's a really interesting choice of words. It's only found two times in Scripture. The priests and the Levites doing the opposite thing. Jesus is teaching that the Jews, their crutches, their heroes, their role models, law and works do not require love. They are ineffective to lead to life. They draw great lines and symmetry is wonderful, but they cannot save and they do not necessarily lead to life. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, everyone's hero to everyone's enemy. Let me give you a quick history lesson. In, in 722 BC, Assyria kind of ruled the world. And, and when they ruled the world, they took all of the Jews of the northern kingdom, most of the Jews in the northern kingdom, into captivity. And while they were in captivity for, for decades, they populated the northern region of Israel, the northern kingdom, with pagans, with Gentiles, with anti-God people, and with them brought all of these false gods. And the Jews that still remained in the northern kingdom began to worship the gods of these pagans alongside of Jehovah. Worse, they began to marry into these pagan nations. And when the captivity was over and Israel was able to come back into the northern kingdom, they noticed that there was this group of half-breeds in God's chosen place for his people. They were the Samaritans. They had become a mixture of the world and of Judaism. They definitely were not pure in life or in worship. And so they were sellouts. They were betrayers. They were evil, because, and that goes all the way back to Jeroboam. They were evil because they had intermarried with these Gentiles. They were evil because they actually tried to disrupt the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple when they came back from captivity. They were so evil that, Scripture doesn't talk about this, history does, that in 128 B.C., it was the Samaritans even attacked and destroyed their temple, the Jews destroyed. Uh, Attacked and destroyed their temple. They, they were not in the family any longer. They, they, are, they are worse than enemies. Racism and hatred ensued. So even though they had the law and the commandments of the law, the Jews were failing miserably at love. Okay, back to verse 33. But a Samaritan. Now Jesus is very intentional at using the anti-hero. As he journeyed, came to where he was, the man in the ditch, and when he saw him, he had 
compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. By the way, this is not just triage. This is costly care. Materials that he had brought for himself just in case he were overcome by robbers. He brought him, uh, this is personal sacrifice. And then he set him on his own animal, which means that the animal that he had prepared to ride for safety, he is now directing so that this wounded man can ride and he is walking. And he brought him to an inn. Again, very interesting choice of words that Jesus uses. This is not a Holiday Inn Express. This isn't the Hilton or the Hyatt or wherever it is that people stay. This is a, a place, the word inn here, uh, translated inn, it means a place for everyone. Ugh. You know, when, you, when you're on this road and you hit this place and you stay at the hotel, I mean, nobody says, you know, I, I want to I stay at a place that everyone can afford, where there are all kinds of people there on this very dangerous road. Uh, I want to be, uh, if, if there could be a more dangerous place, that's where I want to stay. A place where they can gouge you, take advantage of you, where there's no reporting. Just a little place on the side that really doesn't get taken care of at all. Just a place that everyone, I mean, like when you are absolutely desperate and exhausted, it's like, I just want a place with a light on, except this place don't have lights. That's what the word means. In fact, uh, he, he gives, well, let me say, so, and the next day, so the Samaritan stayed there too by the way. He took out two denarii. That's a day's wage. We know that. Two denarii is a day's wage. And he gave them to the innkeeper. Uh, now, archaeologists recently have found an old piece of wood from this, from this particular area dating around to this particular time. On this piece of board, it's almost like a menu from ancient days. And on it is the cost of a place like this 2,000 years ago. Now, again, don't get caught up. It doesn't matter. I just want to give you a, for re a reference, okay? One thirty-second of a denarii was one night's stay. The Samaritan gives him two denarii. I know math is hard, but he's paying for about two months' stay for this Jew this wounded Jew, all right? Now, all of that may not be the room, but he is expecting for this innkeeper to continue to care for this man in his absence. I just want you to see that this isn't a, how cheaply can I get away with this? This man is loving his enemy with lavish love. Lavish. He's not drawing a line. If it's not enough, I'll give you more later. And, and I don't need a quote. And I'm not going to say, don't you gouge me. No, no quote, no limit. This isn't, he's not trusting the innkeeper. And right to, he's not trusting the innkeeper. He's loving his neighbor. He exposes himself, of course, to being extorted. But... That's the nature of love. That's what he would want for himself. And he says, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. 
So which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer, he said, the one who showed him mercy. I, I'm not there. I can't hear it. But I kind of feel he's going, the, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. I mean, listen, you love great with the lines that you've drawn. You've drawn really clean lines, lawyer. Now, go and love like that, and you'll have eternal life. The love that you've loved with has left you empty. Now, go and love like that. See, he's trying to be justified by keeping the law, the limits, the rules. But listen to what Paul said in Romans 3.20. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law brings me to a place where I recognize the depths of need that I have, and it's the depths that drives me to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If all you deal with is the law, you're going to be empty. It just proves emptiness. Once you are aware of your sin, you must appeal to a, a higher level of the law. Now, this story is not about being good to people. This story is an evangelistic opportunity where Jesus is talking about what it takes to inherit eternal life. This isn't how to create social justice and social reform. This, this is about how to know for sure that you're going to spend eternity with God. Once you're aware of sin, you have to appeal to a higher level of the law. This story is about a Samaritan and a wounded Jew. This story is about a lawyer who thinks he's good enough because he's done good things, including keeping the law. It's not enough. It's not enough. So I want us to look at this story from two levels. Here's the good news. We've already looked at one of them. The earthly story. Here we, we have learned great principles about loving each other and, and who each other is. This, this story is in, a, in a, like an appeal form, an even if. So I want everybody, to, I want to stop for just a moment. I want you to say that to yourself, even if. All right, this, this story is the biggest even if story that there could be. Loving and showing compassion, even if, whatever the excuse, whatever the reason, whatever the justification, love, show compassion. Even if it's a Samaritan, even if you don't have money, even if there's risk of violence or threat, or if you can be extorted, or somebody judges you wrong, or if you are busy, or if you on your way, doesn't matter. Even if, love with the love of God, period. Even if we're called to help a person, even if they're Jewish, or they're Samaritan. We're called to help people if they don't speak the same language as us. They don't share the same values of us. They don't worship the way we worship. They don't dress the way we dress. They're not from the same country that we are from. Even if they hate you, love with compassion. We're called to love those 
even if we don't know their names, even if them being in the ditches of their own accord, it doesn't matter, even if, even if they don't deserve it, even if they've burned the bridge. And listen, this challenge is no more difficult for them than it is for us. Difficult, difficult challenge. So here are our immediately earthly takeaways. Loving your neighbor as yourself means loving everyone. There are no limits to whom we are to love, and there can be no lines drawn. Now, here's the rules. This is the rules. Go and do likewise. Jesus has given us the rules. If you want to know if you've inherited eternal life, there can be no lines drawn on love. Now, you may have to be careful how you love, but love. In fact, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. How? Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. And by this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus also told the story to the disciples when he was talking to them about, you know, the, the, the feast that was being given. So serving a person who needs help is the same as serving Jesus himself. In, in, in fact, sometimes I believe that Jesus will allow people to come along our path so that we can serve them so that we can understand what it looks like to serve Jesus. You remember what he said, you know, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you've done it unto me. The third thing that I learned is the only thing that matters is what you actually do, not what you believe, not what you mean. Your intentions mean nothing. The only thing that matters is what you actually do. You can have all the answers up here, but if you're not loving practically, what difference does it make? It's not love until it's actual, actually done. So it'd be easy for us to say what we love is found by what we do. This Samaritan, he had, he had life. I don't know what it was. It's not really the point. He was on his way somewhere to do something. He had means in his pocket. He had preparation for some kind of a trip. Didn't matter. Obedience was bigger than his agenda. And he, put, he was able to put, to put his life aside for the moment. And he did what was required to make sure that the man got what he needed. I just wonder how often we are in such a hurry to get our things done that we miss the people that God is bringing to us. Or we, or we kick them to the side because they deserve it or they need to learn their lesson or they're not from here or they're not like us or they, they should, you know, whatever the case may be. Yeah, I also think it's interesting that Jesus, I mean, if, if you're, when you're re- hearing Jesus teach this story and he says priest, you automatically go, oh, good guys. Levites, oh, good guys. Nope, not in this story. Oh, the end of the terrible place? Uh, He's a terrible guy. What's this guy giving him an unlit? He's getting him a blank check. I mean, all of these labels, the Samaritan, uh, oh, wait, the good Samaritan. I mean, all of these labels are are meaningless. 
Boy, and if, if ever we've lived in a time where we try to be really good with labels and division and lines, and boy, this is it, right? I mean, this is it. And yet, that's not the kingdom. It's like, it's like the people of God are still waiting, you know, for eternity for the kingdom of come. And yet Jesus has already said, the kingdom is now. We already live in the kingdom. We already have the power to walk in this kingdom and to love with, with unselfish love, with, with unconditional love. We already have the means and the ability to do that, not by our good works, not even by our truth, but by our personal relationship with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit who guides us. As we walk with him every day, he guides us into that ability that the law and works can never accomplish in our life. The Spirit can accomplish. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of Christians, obviously not in this room. There are a lot of Christians who depend on what they know to save them. They depend on what they believe to be enough. But all that has done is drawn lines of limits. Who's in? Who's out? Who belongs? Who doesn't belong? Now we got to move into another place where we're actually living in the Spirit and it humbles us. It, 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 we, we are reminded of the need of our own desperation and our need of His mercy every day. And I'm telling you, when you're reminded of who you are, it is a whole lot easier to love the least of these and to give the benefit of the doubt to those who might not deserve it. But, but just remember, you don't deserve it. I don't know if I should mention this or not. Just, just not because I don't want to. I, I just, it kicks me in the teeth, okay? So just be aware of that. To be able to do what the good Samaritan did. So here, here's a question. Who's, who is ever going to know? Who's ever going to find out the good that the Samaritan does for the Jew? Is a, Jew, is a Jew going to be able to repay him? I don't know. I'll just let the air out of the, the question. No. Is the Jew going to be, is the Jew going to be there when the Samaritan comes back to for final payment? I don't know. Two months, that's a long time. I doubt it. Who's ever going to know this man's face? Who's ever going to know what he did? The innkeeper? No, the, the, the love, it is really easy when we love and there is some reward, even appreciation, maybe some relationship. It's really to love, easy to love people that you can get loved by or, or get a good reputation from. People that can pat you on the back and say, you know what, you're right, lawyer, you are the best among us. You know when it's really hard to love? When nobody will know that you did it to the least of these. Love with no reward in mind at all. Because you know the greatest reward is ahead of us. That's the reward we should be living for. Not, the, not on the pats on the back, not the applause of men. We should be loving for the reward that is set before us. Our human nature makes us more willing to be inconvenienced if there's a reward at stake. Jeremiah 17.10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. 
So let's look at it at another level. We had to be very careful with this. And I, I want to start by saying we, we need to be very, very careful because Jesus has spoken often about his stories having hidden meanings for those who, who, who can't hear with spiritual ears. So we always want to make sure that we approach uh, Jesus' stories, parables, with humility and discernment. So I say that to say I, I do not believe that this story is allegorical. But at the same time, perhaps we are the man in the ditch. Hoping to trust the law, the good works, the prophets to bring us healing and wholeness. But all they could do was pass by and reveal their inability to do so. But they left the hole that point us to hope and to healing. And perhaps Jesus is the good Samaritan. And he's completely unafraid to take on that identity. He is the foreigner that left his home to come to where we are and to show lavish love upon us. Who treated us as a brother, who risked himself, who gave himself and his treasure to treat us. He entrusted our progress and our healing to the innkeeper, the place for everyone, the place where everyone should be able to be. And he gave his possessions to her for the healing. And by the way, he also promised to come again and completely settle our debt. Now, if we're going to inherit eternal life in God's kingdom, we have to inherit his love. And we cannot compare our love with the love and compassion of the Good Samaritan. We must compare the love that we love with, with the love and compassion of the Good Shepherd. Love my neighbor? Well, who is my neighbor? What are my limits? How far do I have to go? Love, even if there's risks, even if there are labels, even if there is sacrifice, even if it's demanding, even if it's not deserved, even if there's no reward or benefit, even if whatever your limit has been, let he who has ears to hear go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, today we are humbled before your love. We are in awe of your selflessness. Not just of your ability, but of your willingness to come and to pull us out of a ditch, to bind our wounds, and even to take them on. Lord, we thank you for the work that you have done to restore us. And how dare we neglect to give that love away to the least of these. So today, Lord, we stand in need. We stand in need of conviction. We stand in need of repentance. We stand in need of spiritual eyes to be able to see the world the way you see the world and to stop looking in our self-righteous mirror, telling ourselves how good we are. So Lord, I pray that we would learn to love without limits. And that's going to take some work because we've already drawn some lines. 
We've already, we've already kind of created some little safe havens where we don't have to be offended, where we don't have to deal with dirt, where we don't even have to, it's, it's, it's beyond that, where we don't have to deal with different. We hold ourselves up in our safe places. But Lord, as I see your kingdom, especially in scripture, it goes it moves. It, it goes into the crevices. It goes to the, to the ditches. It looks for opportunities to show compassion. Because in compassion is the gospel. And once, Lord, we are raptured by your love, now we know why it is important to obey. Now we know why the law exists is so that we know what it looks like to live in your character, within your expectations. So Lord, I pray that we wouldn't depend on the law to save us, but we would honor the law because we're saved. So Lord, I pray that today you would soften our hearts toward the things of love and that we wouldn't only love those like us, we wouldn't only love those that are in this room, but we would learn to love the least of these, because then, Lord, that's where we learn how you loved us. So I pray that you would challenge us. I pray for conviction. I pray for opportunities. And I pray that whatever the, the busy calendar of our life holds, that we'd be able to take a moment and we'd be able to kneel down and use our own resources to bind up the broken before we forget who we really are. So, Lord, today we love you. And, I, and I, again, I pray that your spirit would be able to permeate our hardened hearts, my hardened heart. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart of flesh to love with. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Will you stand, please? Maybe you need, maybe you need to come and pray, and someone will come and pray with you, or you can pray alone. Or maybe you want to just stay where you are and pray. But while Chris leads us, I'm going to ask us today if we just, just ask the Lord, you know, Lord, am I loving with your love? Am I, am, I, am I showing compassion with your compassion? Or am I just trying to be good? Am I just living for pats on the back? Or am I, am I truly extending your kingdom in this world? We just, we just ask the Lord and just just see what he says today. Maybe he'll break us. Lord, we just thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that when we were, when we were out, left for dead, you didn't pass by. And today we just glorify your holy name for giving us the ride of healing. We thank you, Lord, for placing your heart in us to love with that kind of love. So, Lord, help us to love our neighbor as ourself. Help us to love our enemies as ourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.